Okay, we are starting Matthew chapter 16 today. Matthew chapter 16. And we had read last week in Matthew chapter 15 and we talked a little bit about uh, 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 legalism and traditions. And then, and then uh, uh, the, the work of Jesus healing the, the demon-possessed daughter of the Syrophoenician woman we had addressed in the past. And then Jesus actually fed 4,000 people in the end of chapter 15, much like he had fed the 5,000 people in chapter 14. So now let's move on to Matthew chapter 16, reading from verse 1. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now let, let me just say that the, the set, the, there, were, there were four main sects in Israel at the time. The Sadducees had control of the temple, the high priest was a, was a Sadducee. Uh, the Sanhedrin, which was this ruling body, which had 71 members, the high priest being one of them, and then 70 others, was divided between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I think the Sadducees at that time probably had more seats on it. The Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural. They believed very much in the written law. They they didn't have as high a regard for the prophets and for the writings, which were the Psalms and for the minor prophets. They believed very strongly in the book of Moses, in the books that Moses had written, the first five books. They didn't uh, believe in the oral tradition at all. They had nothing, no regard for the supernatural, did not believe in the resurrection, did not believe in, in life after death for the believers, did not believe in angels or in spirits. The Pharisees believed very much in angels and in spirits, and so the Pharisees were a different sect. Uh, they, they, again, were another ruling class, did not have the priesthood at the time, though, at the time that, that uh, um, the New Testament time, the time that Jesus was alive at this time. Uh, they, the Pharisees believed very much both in the oral traditions as well as the written traditions. The Pharisees were the ones that had very much all these rules surrounding many other things. Uh, uh, the, the, um, within the Pharisees, there was another sect called the Essenes. The Essenes were, were very dedicated believers. They felt that because the temple was under Sadducean control, that they wouldn't have very little to do with the temple and, its, and, and going to the temple, although they did send some offerings to the temple. They didn't uh, have children very often, and so they, they built up their numbers through conversion rather than birth within families. And, and then there were the zealots. The zealots were very, very uh, uh, opposed to the Roman rule. They believed in not paying taxes. And it was through the work of the zealots that actually the, the, the Roman onslaught came against, against uh, Jerusalem in 66 A.D., which culminated in 70 A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem. Under the Sadducees were the Herodians, those who felt that, that it was okay to deal with, with Herod and to function under Roman rule. So there were these different ruling sects, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the two main ruling groups here. And they come up and they were testing Jesus and they asked him to show a sign from heaven. And in verse 2, but he replied to them, 
When it, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but not discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And we had discussed this before in Matthew chapter 12, how when the unpardonable sin came, he told them at that time, the same thing he told them, that you're not going to see anything else except the sign of Jonah. And the sign of Jonah was given to them. And he says, you know, you guys can, can discern the signs of weather, but don't you know how to discern the scriptural things that have come upon you? And we have this, this saying today, which is very much analogous to this, that says, uh, red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. So the same sort of thing, that, that just by the color of the sky, you can tell things, how the weather is going to be. But he says, you're only going to see the sign of Jonah. And they saw three signs of Jonah. Well, they saw two already. The first sign of Jonah was in Lazarus, when Lazarus was raised from the dead. And after that, they decided to try to kill both, both Lazarus and Jesus. The second sign of Jonah was given when Jesus rose from the dead. That was the second time. The third sign of Jonah will come halfway through the tribulation in the book of Revelation. And that, at that point, Israel will then believe when the two witnesses that the Antichrist will have put to death rise again, and then all Israel will see it, believe, and it will become a believing nation. And actually, only in that time will, the, will Israel ever expand to the, the, the uttermost of its biblical borders from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. Only when they're a believing nation, and that's, that's halfway through the, the tribulation. Verse 5, but his disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they forgot, they, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began to discuss this among themselves. And he said, he said that because he didn't, we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many bas large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak of you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what Jesus was saying when he said, beware of the leaven or of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, beware of their teachings. Well, what was it about their teachings that was so bad? Look in, in, in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12. And you'll see it very specifically. Luke spells it out for us. Very clearly. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousand of people had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. That's what he's saying. Their teaching is hypocritical. And he had addressed that just over in Luke chapter 11. So now, Remember, Luke is the only one of the Gospels that follows 
the historical record chronologically. Chronology is very important to you and I today and in our society. It was not always so. So Matthew, Mark, and John don't follow chronology. Luke specifically does. He says that in Luke chapter 1. And, and it's followed chronologically also in the book of, of Acts, which was also written by Luke. But look in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 37. Now, when he, had spoken, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed, his meat, washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. So Jesus speaks very specifically at their hypocrisy. He said, you look very good on the outside, but inside there's a lot of trash. Now, if you read the scriptures and will really ponder them, I think what you will come to recognize is that the church has become quite pharisaical in many of its dealings. And I wonder if I would recognize Jesus if he would come in the same way that he came before? Or would I say, well, he doesn't fit into my little box of the way that the Messiah should be? The whole message for today is getting a hold of our hearts. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He says, be really wary of this teaching of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Why does he say beware of it? He says beware of it because it's so easy for us to fall into it. He says to the Pharisees, you look really clean on the outside, but inside you are full of robbery and wickedness. And he picks out something very specifically. And until something gets specific, we feel we're okay. Generally, a new believer will go to a church and sit there and hear the message and think, wow, that message is really great for my brother-in-law. He really needs that. And then after a while, you realize, and you turn the thing around, you say, I really needed that message. That is me. Jesus says to the Pharisees, let me give you an example, because I've been saying that you're dirty, on the outs you're dirty on the inside while you're clean on the outside. Let me give you an example. He says in verse 42 of, of, of Luke chapter 11, You pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So he says, here's an example. You pay a tithe on everything. The Pharisees were very diligent 
about obeying the law. They paid a tithe on everything, even down to mint and rue and every herb that they picked. They would make sure that one in ten went to an offering, to the tithe. And he says, though, you've forgotten justice and the love of God which he says are much greater things, justice and the love of God. And on this basis, some believers say, you see, it's not so important that we give things as long as I love God. Well, Jesus says to them, you should have done the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So in other words, you should have justice and the love of God without neglecting to have tithed on the other things. Now, we are no longer under the tithe in the New Testament. We're no longer under the tithe, although it's a very good place to start. If you want to be very specific about how much the New Testament says to give, the examples, for example, are Barnabas who gave everything. So a tithe is a good place to start. And you start now. And you say, well, you know, that's, that's for later. No, you start now. Whatever you have, you give a tenth of. If you make ten dollars, you give a dollar. You start when you're a student. You start now. And then when you get your first paycheck, you're going to go, whoa, am I supposed to tithe on this? No, that can't be serious. Yes, serious. That's why you start now. So you're not supposed to neglect the other, although there are greater things, like justice and the love of God. So what Jesus did is he picked out something very specific to them. And until something gets very specific, we feel we're free. Let me get very specific with you. I think you can tell a lot about a believer and whether they live under the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is hypocrisy, by looking at their income tax forms. Serious about that. Do we try to adjust that a little bit? Or do we pay everything we owe? I think accountants see much more clearly what's behind the believer as they go through their income tax for them, as they begin to see what they have receipts for and what they're claiming. I remember when I was a kid, I had heard on TV that everybody cheats on their income tax, and I said that to my mother because in my home... My, my, my father went out and worked all the time, and my mother took care of the income tax, which was much simpler back then than it is now. And I said to my mother when she was doing the income tax, I said, I heard everybody cheats on their income tax. And she said to me, I don't. I never do. And my parents are not believers. My mother is now, but at the time she wasn't. And that stuck in my heart from the time I was a little kid. Remember one day we were coming out of the grocery store and we got to the car and my mom was was looking in her purse to get her keys and she realized that she had been given a lot of money extra by the cashier. A lot, which was like $10 extra, which at the time was a lot of money. And I must have been eight or nine years old. And she said, I have to go back and give this money back to the cashier. I said, why? I said, just keep it. She said, oh no, we can't do that. We have to give it back. 
and we walked all the way back to the grocery store because grocery stores back then didn't have parking lots. You parked on the road or you parked wherever you, 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 you could find parking. And we, we, we brought the thing back and she gave it to the lady and I remember seeing how grateful the cashier was. And then my mother had gone into real estate and that cashier always kept my mother's real estate cards on her counter. But I was so impressed with that. And then a few years later, I, I started to work in a gas station on the highway. And I was 14 years old. And uh, I started to pump gas. And I learned from the guys who pumped gas how to cheat. And, and, and it's, it's this funny little thing. You know, somebody comes in, and back then people would come in and they'd say, I'll take $3 worth. You know, now, now $3 will get you half a gallon. But... But, you know, they'd come in and get $3 worth. And so when they'd get $3 worth, what you'd do is you'd give them their $3, and then you'd, you'd take the thing and you'd jam it in there without resetting it. And so a next person would come in and say, fill her up. And so you'd start it at $3, and they'd never notice it. And so, in other words, you'd get $3 more. So I learned this from the guys who worked there. And I remember the first time I did it, and the guy drove out, and I was taught to do this by the older men that worked there. And I can still remember the guy's face that I ripped off for $3. This was not the way I had been taught in my home. And to this day, I feel it. That this guy was so nice. And I took $3 from him. And I still feel that sting today. The Holy Spirit stings our hearts. Even in the unbeliever knows when he is doing wrong. And I remember after that day, I never did it again. Even though I wasn't a believer, I never did it again. Because it pained me too much. What we image to our children, they will remember. What do we do in the secret place of our heart? This is where hypocrisy is. Keep your finger there in Luke and turn back to Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew, in, actually, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 19, Jesus said, For out of the heart comes evil, thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So, I'm sorry, this is Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. See, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders. How does murder come out of my heart? Jesus said that's exactly where it starts. Everything you and I do is manifest first in the, in the heart. Adulteries. Fornications. Fornication is not just sex outside of marriage. Fornication means any kind of sexual immorality. It can be bestiality. It can be incest. It can be rape. It can be sex outside of marriage. That is fornication. Any kind of sexual uh, immorality. Theft. False witnesses. Slanders. All of that starts in the heart. Jesus said, I want your heart. The Pharisees say, give me the external. Jesus said, I want your heart. Christianity is so much different than other faiths in this regard. He goes right back to the intent of the heart. Not just the physical, 
manifestation. For if we grit our teeth and be nice, just gritting our teeth, but in our heart, harboring ill toward another. Jesus said, that's wrong. He says, I want your heart. He said, be free of the teaching of the Pharisees. Beware of it, because it's deceptive. You think you have the outside. Expense reports. This is another place people cheat all the time. We're allowed a certain budget when we go on professional travel. You're allowed $50 for dinner, $15 for lunch, and $10 for breakfast or something like that. You know what I do? I bring back all my receipts and say, there's my expenses. You don't have to have all your receipts if you just go by the expense report. You can claim up to that amount. But no, it wasn't, I didn't use the whole $50. All I had was, I went to Subway for dinner. I spent, spent uh, $8, $6. I didn't spend the $50 for dinner. Because if you go to a, a town like San Francisco or something, you need $50 for dinner. You know, you go out to restaurants and eat or something on professional travel. Expense reports. People cheat on them all the time. If you're a believer, you cannot do this unless... You stand up and you say, I am a Pharisee, I am a Sadducee. And that's what you have to do if you're going to cheat on an expense report. And many of you have not hit this yet. But you will. You will. You cheat on an expense report, you are a Pharisee. Pharisee is your name. And leaven is what's in your heart. Sin in your heart. And the Bible calls it for what it is. Lust. Lust goes shooting through the hearts of young men and the minds of young men all the time. And will we say, God, deliver me. Father, forgive me. Remember the prayer we have to pray. Father, I thank you for the beauty of this woman. She's been made in the image of God. By the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, may I never use her as an, uh, may I never use her for my own lustful gain, and please take that which is twisted in me because of sin and untwist it. And may I come to see my sexuality rightly. You pray that prayer, young men, and you get victory over your lust. And when it comes through again, you pray that prayer again. And that is honesty in the heart, toward God. And this is what He calls us to. Women, you have the lust in your heart. Do pray the same prayer. Father, I thank You for the beauty of that man, for the handsomeness of that man. He's been made in the image of God. By the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, may I never use Him or abuse Him for an object for my own lustful gain. And take that which is twisted in me because of sin and untwist it. And may I come to see my own sexuality rightly. Pray a prayer like that. Unless you want to stand up and to say, my name is Pharisee. My heart is deceptive. Jesus wants the believer's heart. He is so different than any other teacher. He wants our heart. He gets right back to it because he says, out of the heart starts murder. Out of the heart starts slander. Out of the heart starts fornication, starts adultery. 
It starts in the heart. A man doesn't wake up in the morning and say, I think I will go and commit adultery today. It doesn't start out of the blue like that. It starts in his heart. He's arguing with his wife. There's a woman at work who seems to appreciate him. And he starts to tell her about his wife and the troubles he's having. And she seems so understanding. And lo and behold, he's revealing more and more of himself to her until they end up in bed together. This is a very common sequence. Married men have no business sharing their relationship with their wife, with another woman. Have no business doing that. Go to counseling. Go to counselors together. But just remember this. This is the sequence that it takes on. Or a woman is at work and her husband's not being very nice to her and she goes to work and her boss is, oh, ever so nice. And he seems so understanding. And how nice it would be to have a husband like him who's not always struggling with money like her husband. And little by little, things move on. And talk turns to talk that it shouldn't be and they end up in bed together. This is a very common sequence. And then just remember, it never changes. Five years into those new marriages, it's the same as it was before, or worse. Because everything starts in the heart, and Jesus wants to get at our heart. Let me give you an example. As I, as I thought to prepare this, I thought, surely this week... Because every week, there are things that the Holy Spirit just zeroes right in on my heart. I'll give you an example. Postdoc comes to my office from another group. And he starts asking me th- some things, and, and I was harsh with him for absolutely no reason. And as soon as he left, I thought, I have to deal with this. Why was I harsh to him in this way? I didn't yell at him or any way, a- anything like that. But I was, I was just gruff with him. And I had to contact him and say, look, I'll help you out here. Didn't mean to be so harsh. Did the same with a graduate student. Pushed him much harder than I should have pushed him. And I called him back into my office after about 30 minutes. And I said, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have said those things. I'm sorry about that. Because the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart that it was wrong what I did. I'll give you another example. I was asked to speak at, at, at the, a meeting of the American Chemical Society. And I said, sure, I can speak if I can speak on a Monday because I have to be back to my class. To the first class of the semester is going to be on Tuesday. And I hate to miss the first class, uh, 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 the, first, the first class in a, in, in a semester's lectures. And then he said, no, the symposium, I can't get it to start until Wednesday. I said, okay, withdraw my my abstract then. And then he emailed me back a month later. You know, this this was going on six months ago. And he emailed me back a month later. He says, I was able to move the whole symposium up till Tuesday. And so I said, just emailed him back. One quick word, okay. Well, Tuesday's not good enough because I can't be in my class on Tuesday and be in San Francisco on Tuesday. It's just 
a little bit of distance between Houston and San Francisco. And so now came time to make the flight and everything, and I had to already be there on, on, a, on that Sunday to give a symposium lecture, and I said, well, I'll just fly back Sunday evening or Monday. And I told, I told my assistant, well, tell this person that I can't do the Tuesday. I'll send a student to speak on my behalf on Tuesday. And he emailed back. He says, no, the student won't do. I asked you. You agreed to it. And he sent a copy of the email that I sent, the one word, okay. Now I was stuck. Because the scripture says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And the scripture speaks about honoring our word. And he emailed me back. He says, you know, if you don't come, we'll just take a coffee break during that session time. A student won't do. The only thing between this and you is your conscience. <laughs> the, guy, the unbeliever wrote to me. And he was absolutely right. And the next day, the next morning I came in because it was eating me up. And I said, I will be there. So I have to make arrangements for someone not to be, you know, to not be in my first lecture. And I was asking Phil, you think the students would mind me not being in the first lecture? He said, no, they'd probably like it. I'm not going to bother them a bit. Because our yes has to be yes and our no has to be no. Let me give you another example. One day, I, uh, this was about 15 years ago, a long time ago, but we remember things. Remember, I, one of my neighbors was a fireman, so he had a lot of time off. You know, firemen work, you know, for like 36 hours, and then they, then they come home the rest of the week. And so I asked him to paint my house, and he agreed to paint the house. And then I met these other painters, and... and um, and they, they were going to be like half the price of this fireman, so I told these other painters to paint it. And then I felt really bad because I had already told that fireman to paint it and we had agreed to it. We hadn't signed any documents or anything. It wasn't going to be like that. So there were no signature, but we had shaken hands. And I went back to him. And I said, you know, Rusty, I'm sorry because I had asked you to paint the house and we had agreed on it and I had someone else paint it. He said, no, no, don't worry about it. I said, I'm sorry. But to this day, I remember that. Even though I've gone back and repented, to this day, I still remember it. Because I broke my word with the man. Will we have integrity in the heart? Look in, in Psalm chapter 15. Psalm chapter 15. Reading from verse 1. O Lord, who may abide in your tent, and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. See that? Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. If we make a commitment, even if it's not convenient, we've made a commitment. Now, unless we can go back and resolve that, 
to the satisfaction of all parties. And I tried to resolve it to the satisfaction of all parties. I would send a student who actually knows more about the subject than I know because he's the one doing the work. And he actually mixes the chemicals with his own hands. All I know is what he tells me. But that wasn't good enough for the person to whom I had committed it. So I swore to my own hurt. What, what does the New International say for that, that portion of the verse? Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. This is where we come right up against the teaching of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees is the teaching of the Pharisees and the teaching of Jesus. And which will we do? You know, the church is absolutely filled with people. And they look very much like us, who walk under the teaching of the Pharisees. Because it is much more convenient and much easier. And Jesus said, on the outside you're clean, but inside you're filthy. He said, in fact, inside you are like dead men's bones. You are like tombs, rotten and stinky inside, and I see every bit of it, and it reeks. And we look good on the outside. And Jesus said, you look good on the outside, but inside you stink. And that's me. And he, what He does is He just takes His Holy Spirit and He puts it right in the midst of that tomb. And the Holy Spirit cries out to our hearts, and says, what you have said is wrong. What you have done is wrong. Will you deal with it? And you say, oh, come on. That's just skeletons in the closet. That was a long time ago. Well, you know, these skeletons have a way of kicking the closet door open. If it was so long ago, why does it still bother us? Why do we still think about it if it was really so long ago? It really doesn't matter. If it really doesn't matter, why does it keep coming back to us? Because there's some element of life left within us that's crying out and saying, Obey God. That's crying out and saying, Listen to the Holy Spirit. Just like when I was an unbeliever, but I could hear my mother's voice saying, I never cheat on my taxes. And to this day, when I fill out my taxes, what I will do is, if there's any doubt, I'll just give it to the government. If there's any doubt. Because I don't want to have to have this feeling of the Holy Spirit. Because it's easier for me to give the extra hundred dollars than to have this feeling of the Holy Spirit like I've done wrong. It keeps me up at night. I don't want that. And the older you get, the more corrupted you can get. You know, after the flood, God said that I'll no longer strive with men like I have striven with them. Men are only going to live to be about 120 now. Before the flood, they lived much longer. And if you think scientifically that can't be, scientifically you don't know. Actually, as you, as you think about how the telomerase and works on the ends of DNA as we understand that more. Early on in certain generations, you can have much longer lifespans. That's another topic. He said 120 years, and that's it. And then in the book of Psalms, 
Psalm 90, Moses wrote that it cut down to 80 years. He said, men will live 70 years if due to strength 80. And that's still about where we are. Roughly where we are. Nobody, very few people ever get over 120. And that's a good thing in many ways. Because if, if a 100-year-old had the strength of a 20-year-old, oh boy, could they be corrupt. Because they've learned all sorts of ways to cheat. All sorts of ways to do things. And as you grow older, you will have more opportunity to cheat. And I'm telling you, universities now are filled with ethics classes. And, 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 um, and corporations are filled with ethics classes. Because there were so many people ripping people out. I'm not sure that the ethics classes do much until you get at the heart. Until you know that God sees your heart. That everything you do, everything I do, God sees. You can go into a room and say, how many of you are trying to be different? Trying to become different than you are? Trying to change in the way you relate to people, in the way you act, in the way you, ch- in, 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 in the way you interact with people? Trying to undergo change. You will have people raise their hand, and generally those are Christians, those are believers, because they understand this. But the vast majority of people say, why why should I change? I'm pretty good. Not much wrong with me. You know what happens? That's the teaching of the Pharisees. God is constantly causing us to want to change and be conformed to the image of Jesus. And He calls us to this, because He cares about the heart. Remember, the integrity of the heart. Psalm 15, verse 1. Who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. This is what God calls you to. The world will see it. If you are truthful in your heart and truthful in your dealings, even when it hurts to be honest about it, You will garner so much favor. I made a, I double booked an event recently. And, and um, I actually triple booked an event. And, and um, I, had, I had to go to, to this big Department of Energy review. And I forgot to put that on my calendar. And then I also agreed that day to be in Houston to attend an event that people were flying in to talk to me. People were flying in. They already booked their flights to talk to me. And that morning, I was going to go early and bring my daughter to the airport because she was leaving for Israel. So I had all of those things going on one day. All these people were flying in, but I had to be at that DOE review. It was really critical. So I went to the DOE review, and I called the people, and I could well have said, my secretary double-booked me. But that would have been a lie. I double-booked myself. My secretary left months ago, and I hadn't been able to hire one. I double-booked myself. And I went to all those people who were flying in, and I called them, and I just said, I am sorry. I blew it. I double booked. And I have to be at this other location. Would you please forgive me? And all of them were like, oh, sure. You know, that happens. And when I came clean with it, rather than to say it was a secretarial error, 
man, I garnered so much favor. And I said, you know, the other thing I'm missing on this day is I can't even be there to take my daughter to the airport who's leaving for Israel. And then they felt really bad for me. You know? And, and so, and, and I talked to my daughter and I took her out to dinner the night before and, you know, just to... And she was fine with it. She understood. And people understand. When we come clean with it, they really understand. Hey, you know, you double booked. But you come clean with it. You garner favor when you come clean with it. This is why I love the Lord's Supper each week. Because the Bible says, let a man examine himself and then let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Because each week I say, Lord, search my heart. Is there something here I have to deal with? And then if the Lord reminds me, then I make a commitment to deal with it. And then I eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And I so thank the Lord that He gives us this each week to partake of. To say, Lord, is my heart open? Is my heart clean? Or have I fallen into the teachings of the Pharisees, which really, in God's eyes, stink because He can see the dead men's bones inside? Let's pray. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. And I pray for these young people that You pierce through right to their hearts. The Word of God says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides the joints and the marrow, the soul and the, and, and the marrow. It goes right into the heart. Father, slice right at our hearts, I pray. If there's dirt here in our lives, Father, I pray that we would make a commitment to deal with it. Father, I expose my dirt just from this week that I could recall. But Father, there's so much more. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to walk in repentance and openness. That they would learn to swear to their own hurt. Make commitments and keep them. And if they've blown it, to repent and to walk in truth. Lest they walk in the leaven of the Pharisees, which in your eyes is dead men's bones. And Father, I pray that they would be honest about their dealings and that this would pierce their hearts and change their lives for good. And if there's something on their hearts now that they have to deal with, that they would make a commitment to deal with it, to be free. Father, have mercy on these young people. And Lord, I thank You that you call them to walk with integrity in their hearts, not just on the outside. And Father, I pray your blessing, great blessing to be upon them, that through these young people you will raise up many families who love you and honor you, and good children who love you and honor your word, that through these young lives here you'll do much. In the name of Jesus. Amen.